Geek Nerdery. Player one, press start to play. Get hold of the Nintendo Entertainment System. When you master Rob the Video Robot and meet the challenge of Gyromite. When you shoot the light-sensing Zapper. When you play the system with the most arcade hits, you're playing with power. The Nintendo Entertainment System. Now you're playing with power. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 36 of Graveyard Duck Podcast. With you, as always, my name is Scott. And I'm Wes. Wow, Wes, I don't even recognize your voice. It's been a long time. It's been uh, about three weeks, I think, since the last episode. Yeah, I I apologize for that one. I'll take the blame. I've had a busy few weeks at work, had to travel, was out of town. So we decided, you know, it was rather than try to rush something together at the last minute, we just kind of put it off a week and kind of do the episode right and we knew that yeah. listeners would forgive us but uh yeah so. we, we want a, a quality uh a quality episode you know we want the 1943 versus the 1942 if you if you you know follow <laughs> our episode here pretty soon yeah um so crappy port we're just gonna have a good episode right right yeah we're we're not cashing in with jet re reprogramming from the beginning right. um and yeah, from here, we'll just go back to kind of the uh, every other week schedule. So next episode will be back in two weeks, but um, we can talk about that later. For now, we're here to talk about the NES in 1986, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you've been following along, listened last episode, you know that we're kind of breaking our traditional format. And rather than doing, you know, just kind of pick a game, Wes picks a game, I pick a game back and forth. We've decided at least for a little while here, we're going to go through a... Um, I guess you could call it NES through the years and uh, started with 1985, the release year of the NES, and then just kind of each episode picking, you know, the the next chronological year and just kind of discussing the games that came out there. uh, Most specifically trying to highlight some overlooked or underappreciated games from that particular year. So um, Last week we did 1985, and now we've moved on to 1986. And um, yeah, this is. Um, we, I knew that there were going to be some rough spots in the history of the system, and um, I think we found it. Yeah, I think this is definitely it. I mean, we were kind of struggling on the last episode with 1985, but looking through 86 releases, it's, it's kind of tough to pick um, some good ones. But I'm hoping that we'll have a good discussion at least about some of the pros and cons of some of these games, too. I think so. And, you know, at least with this year, you know, same thing with 1985, the number of games that were released is small enough that we were able to kind of play through each of them, um, maybe not to completion, but, you know, mm-hmm. enough to get a taste so we can kind of talk about a lot of the games here and, you know, discuss some of the highs and lows and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, the problem is know, that with this year, 
uh, at least for me, like a, a taste is like all I can muster on some of these. In fact, it's it's almost like picking up an hors d'oeuvre off of the tray and putting it in your mouth and realizing that it's just awful and you can't wait to spit it back out into the napkin. So uh, yeah, you know, so several of these games I, are kind of like my uh, uh, my version of that, I guess. Well, and I guess we can, you know, kind of kick things off by let's just talk a little bit about the history. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that this episode is kind of like our 1985, where there's just not a lot of good games. But at least with the 1985, we had a lot of history to talk about, you know, the, mm-hmm. the story of the release of the NES. And at that point, you know, all of the games that were out there, you know, the 16, 17, depending on how you want to argue it, were all first party NES official releases. Now, when we get to 86, historically speaking, basically two things, I guess three things happened that are significant here. Um, One is that this is when the NES kind of officially went nationwide. Um, In 85, and the dates are kind of hairy, uh, it was still kind of localized to just the New York area. Like that was where they were doing the, the test markets and for the most part, that's really the only place that the NES was getting sold. And it was 86 where all of a sudden they pushed it out nationwide. Um, And this was really going to be a year that defined whether or not this system was going to be successful. And um, I've read some interviews with some of the people that worked at Nintendo at that time. And they were, you know, very nervous because they just, it's like, if this is either going to make or break it. And, you know, luckily the console itself sold you know, or the sales reached over a million consoles sold in 1986. So it was very obvious that this was a success. Um, But like what was really interesting about it was what Nintendo was focusing on in terms of their games. And as we kind of go through this list, we'll see that 10 of the games that were released this year, the, the 10 that were released by Nintendo for the most part are all arcade games. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of their initial focus back then was that they wanted to bring the arcade home. And so since they already owned some of the licenses to some of these really big arcade games, such as Mario brothers, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong jr. It's like, let's just bring these into your house and look, we can do it so much better than the Atari was able to do it or ColecoVision. Like it's almost a perfect ROM port of some of these games. So people finally felt like, hey, I got the arcade at home. Um, They were kind of experimenting with a couple of other formats too. Like we saw a lot of light gun games come out by Nintendo in this year. Um, But the other really, really major change that happened in 86 compared to 85 is this is the year that third-party developers started to show up. And so we start getting these other games made by um, companies like, you know, Capcom, makes an appearance here and they make up bring out a couple of games uh if i remember right konami Konami, Konami shows up and does some pretty amazing things technos japan shows up Um, well yeah bandai true um so you start to see some of these other companies and unfortunately like they're just getting their feet wet and just kind of learning the ropes of the system so are all of their entries great no, but you know they were at least trying. They hang, hung in there and you know got better from here. But um, yeah, some of these early releases are are a little bit tough, and so just you kind of bear with it and realize like this is when they were just kind of figuring out 
how the system worked. Um, and I think once we'll see in two weeks when we get to 1987 that uh, things really took off. Well, I think part of it, too, um, stems from the fact if you look at um, Capcom's output, for instance, um, and if you watch like Contendo and, and some of the other um, history of, of Nintendo type shows, you'll see that, um, like you said, a couple of companies started showing up, but a lot of them started to just farm out the development to other um, other developers just to kind of get a quick cash in port out there. So it's yeah. you know, like your 1942 and commando and ghosts and goblins were published by Capcom, but they were actually all developed by, uh, by Chronics, which was not, they were not the best developer really as far as like porting or anything like that. Um, but it was just, you know, obviously just, you know, the nest is hot. Let's get this, get these games out here and uh, just quickly. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's really, poignant that you brought that up because all three of those games even if you didn't know that they were capcom games like you could kind of tell what happened here because these are all games that were for the arcade Mm -hmm. um and i would argue that the arcade versions of all of these games are phenomenal um but the nes versions are like there's something that's just kind of off and they're still fun and you still appreciate it because it's like oh i get to play ghosts and goblins in my house or commando at home but like you know what I'm saying? Like, there's just something yeah. that's just not quite. They're, they're incredibly glitchy, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's like there's times that you wonder if like the cartridge is dirty or if the NES is, uh, you know, like starting to to wear out or something like that. It's just uh, obviously there wasn't a lot of um, uh, quality control done on these ports. It was just you know, just put the graphics in, just make the field scroll, and just let it play. You know not really taking any time to smooth out the experience at all. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Where do you want to go from here? Do you want to just kind of take kind of an alphabetical list through some of the games that have come out or do you got a different approach? Where, where do you want to go? Yeah, I was going to think and we could just kind of go through a little bit, um, just kind of alphabetically and just talk a little bit about each one and, uh, you know, maybe some of our history with it. And, uh, you know, our thoughts on revisiting these games in 2018. Yeah, so 1942 was kind of the first um, alphabetical game here in our list. And like we said, this was a, a Capcom-ish game. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Would you say that this is one of the, the bigger titles of the year? or That's uh, so hard to say. I, I don't consider it to be like a big title, really, just because... I mean, maybe it was at the time, but I didn't really play 1942 until a few years later. Um because I got my nest in 87, I think it was. And it seems like, especially with these early releases, that you didn't really see a lot of them hanging out on the shelves after a while. Because, you know, what we've talked about before with um, short print runs and games just kind of coming and going as they please. Uh, I played this probably, I don't know, later on. but And even revisiting it, it's, it's such an awful game to me. Like, the port is so terrible that I really can't play it for more than a few minutes before I, I end up turning it off. Um, it's just not it from the music and the sound effects are really grating. Like they're just, they're not, I don't think they're really good at all. And, um, the graphics tend to just kind of glitch in and out all the time. It seems like where there's just, you know, a lot of weird artifacts that pop in and, um, uh, I don't know. It's just not a, it's not one I would recommend at all. The yeah, it's, is fantastic. It's just the Nest version is terrible. I actually end with it. Um, there's depths to it. And I think some of the scrolling is a big issue. 
And yeah, you're right with the sound effects. Like there's this weird noise that it makes that you, yeah. I can't tell what it's coming from. It's not like every time you shoot, it makes this noise. It's just, there's this sound that is constantly going on in the background that yeah. drives you nuts. Rating noise that I don't know. I can't put my finger on it, but yeah. Uh, I don't but know. you know, for an early shoot, um, I don't think that it would have been that time other than people who, you know, paid. And again, you know, this coming from an era where we weren't used to good ports. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, so when we would, we would get some of those Atari games and play them. And it's like, Oh, I finally got to play Pac-Man at home. And it's like mm -hmm. the, the Atari 2600 version of Pac-Man is just God awful. But at yeah. the time, I don't even think I really processed the fact that it was different than the arcade, like, because yeah. you just thought I mean, like, it's just the home version. Yeah. That's um, another example of just a quick cash in. Sure. Sure. On it. But, uh, but no, you're, you're kind of right on something that's just, you know, it, it seems like at the time it was kind of natural to just kind of expect that the home version would be different or have some added features or do something a little bit different than, than the arcade version. Right, right. And you saw that a lot with PC ports too at the time. It seemed like, you know, like especially later on, you look at like the PC ports of like Mega Man and stuff like that, and they're either completely different games or they're um, they just have new things added into them. Yeah, yeah, or completely different enemies, like <laughs> that, that yeah. Mega Man game. What is it, Dino Man or? Yeah, <laughs> it's oh, it's it's so bizarre. Yeah, I mean it's I, interesting, but you know, I used to own the floppy. I don't think I ever owned it. I kind of think, yeah, I don't, I'm sure I had stock for sale, like case merchandise and, you know, a lot of um, weird places that would just sell PC games that weren't really like game stores back in the day, but I don't think I ever actually owned a copy. Yeah. But, so, yeah, I, I cannot play 1942 for more than like a minute and I just turn it off. Like, yeah, that's interesting. I, I would not put this on the bottom of the list uh, for, for the year. I think there's many, many, many more. Um, Low spots yeah. coming up, but yeah, I mean, you know it's that's it's the hard part about this episode. Is just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, you know, of of all the ones that I sat down to play through the other day when I was kind of doing some research, this was one I spent the most, or one of the ones I spent the a better amount of time on, and you know, sure. did, did did actually kind of have fun, and yeah. So yeah. I I, I would say you know it, it's a little rough around the edges, but it's still pretty fun, and yeah. for a 1986 NES game, you can't can't do you know it's not that bad. So. I mean, I guess if you had the sound off and you had a podcast you were listening to, you know. Yeah, that, uh, that might be a way to go. Yeah. Um, okay, so moving on, we then get to uh, Balloon Fight. Now, mm -hmm. here's a title I think that most people know, and has it's come up a lot. I think if you know anybody has a 3DS or a Wii, like this is one of those virtual console titles that's just everywhere. It's been. Yeah. yeah. It'll probably be back on the uh, Switch when the. Um, Nintendo Classics one can just about guarantee that it will. Um, yeah, hopefully, it's online play. That would be actually kind of fun. So it's it's been around a lot. I think it's one of those kind of like Ice Climber we talked about before that is just has always kind of stayed in the forefront of people's minds. Mm. But that being said, what's your opinion of the game? Well, it's interesting because to me, like Balloon Fight, always seems like it was Nintendo's version of Joust. Kind of, yeah. You know, just kind of a not really derivative, but taking the framework of Joust and kind of applying it just a little differently. And uh, if I were to compare the two games as to which one I probably would play more, 
I think I've probably played more Balloon Fight than I have of Joust throughout. Just because it, it just seems the, the floating mechanic and um, the balloons, it just seems a little bit more fun and lighthearted. But um, also the fact that it's got a completely separate mode in the uh, balloon trip, which is actually kind of fun because, uh, you know, you get like one chance to kind of get as far as you can get, uh, you know, through the obstacle course, so to speak. And uh, I don't know, I really enjoy it. I still enjoy it to this day. So uh, there's actually a really cool uh, Game Center CX uh, segment with uh, Satoru Iwata talking about Balloon Fight. And it was Iwata and uh, Arno playing Balloon Fight and just talking about it. But from what I understand, like Iwata pretty much either completely programmed Balloon Fight himself or came in and like cleaned up, you know, a lot of the programming work and stuff like that, which is why it runs so smooth. But uh, yeah, there's something about it. I come back to this game occasionally and just pick it up and play for a little bit. And I enjoy it. Hmm. This is one of those games that for some reason I've just never had fun in, or enjoyed. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just that the mechanics are, uh, they're, they're well programmed, but because they have that kind of like drifting physics to them, like mm-hmm. I've just found something kind of frustrating about it. Yeah. Um, and I just, I don't know. I, I've never been a huge fan of the like straight, just points based arcade games anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, this is one that I've, I've tried it and I just do not care for this game. Yeah. Um, I think that it's successful and it's well known. And, you know, as I'm sitting here looking through the list of 1986, I'd say it's probably, you know, it's at least in the upper half, maybe the upper Mm -hmm. third. Um, But personal opinions is just that I just don't really find anything very fun about this game. Yeah. And that's what I've always kind of seen. It seems like there's not really a middle ground. Like, I mean, people either like balloon fighter or they don't like it kind of thing. It just depends. But, um, but occasionally, like, I like to play just for a bit of a score attack kind of thing. I can totally understand when people don't like score attack type stuff. So, so here we get to our first Bandai-released game, um, Chubby Cherub. Chubby Cherub. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on? <laughs> well, I mean, we can talk about it. It's actually kind of interesting because, uh, uh, you know, we wouldn't really find out until much later, but uh, Chubby Cherub was kind of one of the first examples of you know, uh, a company taking a game released in Japan and just kind of um, renaming it and adding some different things to it. Uh, it's kind of interesting. So uh, this came out in uh, Japan on the Famicom. It was Obake no Futaro One One Panic, which is based off of the um, Obake no Futaro manga, if I remember right. But I didn't play this one back in the day. I remember seeing, like, pictures of it, like, in, like... Um, you know, like mess guides for like that had the box art and stuff like that. And it was always kind of funny. It was like, oh, it's Chubby Cherub. It's funny. Uh, it's kind of an interesting game. I mean, I thought it was kind of fun. It's a little weird because uh, you kind of fly around and uh, you can like hover and fly and walk around, but you collect like fruit and then you have a limited amount of bullets that you can shoot dogs and things like that. It's, it's very bizarre. It's so um, weird. It's yeah. so weird. And it's incredibly tough. Um, I think I made it to, I don't know, second or third level or so. But uh, like it, it was one that I came back and I played a couple of times. And I thought, well, this would be kind of fun to, you know, to see how good I could get at it and maybe uh, play through a little bit more. So 
Yeah, it's so bizarre. It's the kind of thing where it really, really felt like third-party what-the-hell kind of game. Um, mm-hmm. I, I fully expected to look at the case and not see that Nintendo seal of approval, but sure enough, there it is. Um, yeah, and it's weird, too, that, that this would be released so early, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, this would be something right. you would expect later on, because, I mean, we saw in later years, you'd see a lot more games that came out in Japan that were changed for us, but, uh, you know, especially right out of the gate, it's kind of interesting that, you know, but it, it, on a technical level, it's not terrible. You know, no, it's a little bit clunky. It, it still kind of suffers from that same mechanic, you know, where I was saying, like, it just doesn't quite flow smoothly. Yeah. Um, it's hard to kind of figure out what you're supposed to do. And then because it has just that bizarre, I'm going to say Japanese-ness to it, mm-hmm. that you're really confused and lost. Like, I'm this naked angel baby, and I'm <laughs> shooting dogs and collecting fruit and i i have no idea what's going on right um but that's not the only game from this year that did that there's another game later that also made by bandai that i thought i was on an acid trip when i was playing so we'll we'll get there but um yeah yeah yeah, this is one where i think that some of these games that are so far out there can be a lot of fun um if there's at least a little bit of i guess intuitiveness to them Mm -hmm. um in this case because i really couldn't tell what i was supposed to do i didn't care enough to pull out an instruction book and read it um and the difficulty is very high it was it was enough that you know after a few attempts i'm just like yeah this just doesn't work for me um i think that maybe there's some potential there but i just couldn't get far enough to give it a real shot so unfortunately the chubby cherub got a couple chances and then uh put in the scrap pile it's a super expensive game now too, probably because it was. I don't think it was ever reprinted after the uh, the first release. Hmm. Yeah, it's also one of those that I look at the box art and I think that that just looks like a box of cereal to me. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Chubby cherub cereal. <laughs> now with fruit sprinkles. Right. Um, okay. Next, we come up to our uh, second Capcom release. Um, mm-hmm. This one, Commando. Mm-hmm. Kind of already talked about it a little bit. Uh, another game that I think was very big in the arcade. And uh, yeah, the NES release, eh, maybe not the best. No, it's. I would say it's it's a little bit better than 1942 as far as um, uh, programming-wise. Yeah, it fixed, it, it fixed the scrolling issues, at least. Yeah, yeah I have noticed that, the, that it scrolls better. Yeah. But I rented this one a lot as a kid. I used to play it... Um, Quite a bit, and oddly enough, because um, I think it was in the uh, the official Nintendo Player's Guide, you know, the Black Book or whatever back in the day. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was in there, and for some reason, I remember like when I would take that book to school, and I would look through it, and with Commando, you know, they were always big about how there were all these like secret rooms, like if you threw the grenades at certain spots, and a ladder would appear, and you go down there, and there'd be prisoners and stuff. So, like, I always remember looking through the book and, you know, thinking about these secret rooms, like, oh, my God, there's, like, all these secret rooms underneath the level kind of thing. And then, like, you know, you'd rent it or you'd play it. And it's like, oh, I need to look for those. And there was just this weird mystery of, like, like, I didn't know what I was going to find down there almost. I don't know. It's hard to describe. But um, I think it was a case of, you know, looking at the, the screenshots and just kind of imagining 
that there was more to this game than there actually was. That hmm, that's sense. interesting. But um, compared to like Akari Warriors, I think this game plays a little bit better. But Akari Warriors, I don't think that's programmed very well either. So I, I feel like that one's really hard to play too. Yeah, this game has uh, some good things going for it. I think that um, you know that the idea of it being basically a horizontal or um, sorry, vertical shooter, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like it's not scrolling for you. You control how quick it moves, yeah. but the idea of enemies coming behind you, so you've got to shoot forward, backwards, and you've got really the gun good. and the grenade. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good concept, and it's a lot of fun. Um, other games would you know copy this later. Like you see mm-hmm. this come up a lot. Uh, you know, a couple of the overhead stages in Super C, you know, did the same kind of thing. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, this idea is very effective and it's a good style for a game. Yeah. Uh, the, the I mean, nobody's arguing whether the arcade game is great or not, but it's just the NES port. It's a, it's a little rough, but again, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're taking all of this with a grain of salt, given the fact right. that it's yeah. 86. Um, Okay, so that brings us to three or four games here in a row that I think some of this we can kind of gloss over, partly because of time for the episode, but also because I think people know these. But um, we get the kind of Donkey Kong block here. Mm -hmm. So we got Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., Donkey Kong Jr. Math, and Donkey Kong 3 all Mm -hmm. came out in June of 86. So... um, I would assume that everybody is at least familiar with Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so much Donkey Kong 3 or Donkey Kong Jr. Math. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would agree with that because uh, especially like I don't remember ever seeing Donkey Kong Jr. Math for sale like back in the day. I know that was probably a really small print run. But uh, the one thing I will say about the NES Donkey Kong, though, is it's weird because... Um, it's missing the um, cement factory level. Mm-hmm. And that, like, when I was growing up, I had a TI-99 4A. That was my first computer. And I had um, Donkey Kong for that. And the TI version had um, the Pi factory level in it. So it was a little strange that, like, when the NES version came out, you know, the graphics were really good. The sound was really good. But it was missing, you know, the, the intro of Donkey Kong climbing up the ladder. And it was missing the cement factory. So it was like, to me, it was kind of odd. It was like, well, it wasn't quite arcade perfect. I mean, you know, it wasn't until the Switch release just a few weeks ago that we finally got, like, the arcade perfect Donkey Kong. But it's just interesting that, you know, so many different versions, even going back to, like, the ColecoVision and the Atari one, like, they all had missing pieces and additions here and there. Yeah. Um, and even Junior was slightly different, too, like some of the, the level mm-hmm. order and just kind of how it progressed. It plays differently um but again what what makes these so remarkable was not just you know nitpicking the levels but like the fact that i I feel like donkey kong was always the standard that a console you know used to validate itself sure oh yeah i mean yeah if you look back at even the uh the ColecoVision release i mean that was a big you know a big war between atari and coleco almost to say you know right the better version Right. And that was the game that everybody who owned a home game console knew. Everybody knew Donkey Kong. So everybody was probably going to buy Donkey Kong for their system. And so whichever one had the better, most accurate Donkey Kong was going to be the winner. And it's just odd that like that was the title that was used as the comparison. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then, yeah, when the NES comes out and obviously they own 
you know, Donkey Kong and their port of it because of the power within the NES, like it's almost, like I said, a perfect port. Mm -hmm. And so to see that, like people, I I would hazard a guess that this game was probably the one that cemented the NES in, you know, its success and helped with that, you know, breaking a million console sales. Like it's, probably because of this game because people could finally play donkey kong the real way Mm -hmm. at home um and yeah it it looked good it still looks good to this day Mm -hmm. um yeah so donkey kong 3 though that was one we really haven't talked about yet and i remember the arcade of this growing up and just thinking like what the hell is this thing because you know i knew donkey kong and i knew junior and then Here's this game with Stanley the Bugman who's <laughs> shooting pesticide at Donkey Kong's butt, like, right. and you're trying to get him to climb up these poles, and there's beehives falling at you, and it just, I, I don't know. And the level design, it always looked like the um, the stage from if you ever watched like I Love Lucy, like this. It looks like Ricky Ricardo's bandstand. Oh my god! And <laughs> I never thought of, <laughs> but like. I just never understood what the hell this was or how they got from Donkey Kong to this. I really, um, now I want to see a ROM hack of Donkey Kong 3, but with, you know, Desiernes in the background, like, <laughs> playing, you know, playing music. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it writes itself, honestly. Right. Um, but, you know, all of that being said, this game is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like Donkey Kong 3 and would say that if this is one that you are not familiar with, it might be my overlooked game of the year because I I, I would ha- have a hard time actually making that claim just because I think that most people probably do know it, but I, I'm not really sure about that. So mm. assuming you haven't played it, this would be the one that you need to go check out because I it's simple. It's repetitive. There's only, I think two levels that just alternate back and forth so you're not gonna really is it three three yeah so you don't get a whole lot of variety here it plays itself out pretty quickly but most of these arcade games do like that's kind of their thing this year so it's par for the course for 86 but you know at the same time it's something different and it's it's kind of fun and it's goofy and i don't know give it a shot yeah and it's funny too that if that's what your pick is because i think that was going to be mine as well as far as uh, like the underappreciated version, um, just because it it feels a lot like Space Invaders to me. Yes, and I think that's kind of the um, a little bit of the point where you know um, obviously we were like we've talked before we were kind of accustomed to sequels kind of going off in a different direction and doing something different. But um, looking a little bit into the history of this game, uh, I found out that Donkey Kong Three actually borrows some stuff from an early Nintendo game from 1980 called Space Firebird, which was actually like Nintendo's version of Galaxian, kind of. So in a way, like, it's kind of interesting that you take, you can take like Donkey Kong as a character and have, you know, Stanley the Bugman, but you basically turn it into a Space Invaders or a Galaxian style shoot 'em up in a way, if you think about it, because, uh, you know, your goal is to obviously either kill all the bugs on the screen or to force Donkey Kong up out of the level. And the the frantic pace at which you start being yeah. able to do that, uh, even though there's only three boards and they tend to repeat pretty quickly, uh, I found myself coming back to this one quite a bit. Yeah, just it's, because it's a lot of fun. Power. Yeah, 
Yeah, and it's kind of neat. And it's interesting, too, because I know it's been re-released before, but um, I don't think it's one that a lot of people really talk about, like, especially not in the same vein as Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr. So, in a way, it, it feels like the black sheep of the series a little bit, but uh, owing to its, like, shoot 'em up roots, I, I really appreciated that. Well, and to some degree, I think that it was also Nintendo's attempt to kind of, like, try to create a mascot, Um and I think at this point, they weren't really sure whether that was going to be Mario or if that was going to be Donkey Kong. Yeah, We cool. already discussed that in 85, Mario made a cameo in a lot of those games here in 86. He's in a couple of them. But now that we've got Donkey Kong, it's like, well, why not just put Donkey Kong in this other arcade game that we're developing? Yeah. You know, and really, it has nothing to do with Donkey Kong other than the mechanics of he's climbing up these poles just like Junior did. So, right why not put this character that everybody already knows and loves? We're definitely going to sell more copies because of that. Yeah. So it could have, it could have been nothing more than just trying to create a mascot. You know, or maybe they couldn't get the license to I love Lucy. And maybe the original idea was, you know, Donkey Kong just busts into uh, Ricky Ricardo's club and just starts messing with beehives. It's just, you, you got to shoot Fred Mertz and get him off the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag shoot Fred Mertz. <laughs> Uh, oh, we just invented something. Yeah. That's, oh, he's not around to hear it. Oh, no, I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on uh, back to Capcom, they came out with their uh, third game for the year, third and final. Um, and this one is Ghosts and Goblins. Mm. Now, I think that, again, this is probably going to be maybe up there in the top five of titles that people know. Uh, probably also maybe in the top five of cartridges that are still floating around out there. I still yeah. see these for sale. People are still snatching this up. So it's it definitely cannot go on the list of overlooked because I would say that aside from the Donkey Kong games, this might be one of the biggest. Well, maybe the next game we talk about is bigger, but uh, this is definitely up there. Yeah, I think a lot of people know you know, the frustration and the difficulty of Ghosts and Goblins. And, I mean, it, you know, it started the, the series and gave it its legendary difficulty. So Right. It was obviously not the first release of it. Um, the game originally came out in the arcade the, a year prior in 85. Um, but this here in this year, here in 86, we got not only the NES version, we also got the Commodore 64 version. Mm. Um, so it was kind of around... And this is definitely not the definitive version. Like the the arcade is so much better. And if 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 you're like I was for years, and you think that all or if all you know about Ghosts and Goblins is the NES version, do yourself a huge favor and go track down the arcade version. It's so good and so much better. Oh yeah. Um, And unfortunately, kind of like we were saying with the other Micronics games, this one's just not programmed well. there's cheap spots where you fall off ledges. Uh, enemies that shouldn't be able to hit you somehow do. Oh. They fly right toward. Like, there's just so much cheap shots taken at you. Oh yeah. yeah. Pure, purely because of bad programming, mm-hmm. and that takes a difficult game and just escalates it to a point that just makes it unbearable almost. Right. Um, I have played through the whole thing once. I was very proud of myself for doing it. And I said, I would never do it again, <laughs> but you got to beat it twice. Come on. Well, that's what I meant. I, I did the, the two round. Oh, you did two loops. Okay. Yeah, I, I, you got to the beginning at the end of the first 
loop and it said you got to go back to the start like fuck that nope i did the two loop thing one time it was about 12 years ago and that was the last time that happened yeah um i'll still pull it out every now and then just you know if i'm feeling i guess a little bit sadistic but um yeah it's it's fun there's some charm here it's just such a shame that the programming is so bad yeah so but we don't need to dwell on it for too long because am i right you think people know this one oh absolutely yeah 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 i mean i it's hard to come up with you know something that hasn't really been said about it but uh you know it's just it's legendary in its own right i guess for right. better or worse, I guess. Uh, and I think the same thing would go for our next game in the series with, or for the year, which we don't need to spend much time on because mm. people are going to know this, but that's Gradius. Yeah. Uh, we did a Graveyard Duck Challenge on it a while back. Mm-hmm. So our listeners have at least heard us talk about it. Some of them have participated and played. Uh, I would sit down and say that this is the best game that came out this year. Oh, yeah. Gradius is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, not only from a programming standpoint and how smooth it is, but um, you know, this is one of the first instances of you know getting to hear um, Konami's awesome NES soundtracks. Yep. The the music alone in this is amazing for yeah. the year in which it came out. Yeah, we should we should mention that this is the one and only Konami game for '86, and that also makes it the first Konami game for the NES. Yep. Um, yep. And man, talk about coming out guns blazing because yeah. oh yeah, this and I still remember like because uh, I still have a box copy of it, but on the box, like on the top of it, it's, it's got this big banner on it that says over five million sold in Japan, and it just like I, that always stuck with me looking at it, going, wow, if it sold five million copies, it must be really really good, you know. So I can imagine a lot of people probably picked it up just based on the you know uh, the strength of the ad copy alone. Sure. Sure. The artwork's cool. I mean, when you look at oh, all, yeah. all of oh, the yeah. other all the other games that came out, and Nintendo was still doing their black box thing where everything mm-hmm. was the pixelated screenshot, uh, the kind of diagonal words, and then the, the little icon in the bottom saying what system it was for, you know, the Zapper series or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then a lot of the third-party ones, like some of them were fun, but most of them were just cheesy and bad. And well, look at how, if you notice, look at how each publisher sort of has their own style to it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you have the classic Capcom uh, red and blue grid. I, I love that grid that's on the back yeah. of the old Capcoms. Yeah, you got the 80s grid going on. Um, you got Konami with the silver box with the, uh, you know, the lines kind of breaking up the art in the middle. Yep. And, then, uh, you know, obviously Bandai is kind of a little bit different because it's like a picture, of, a screenshot of the game and a little bit of the artwork on it. So. Um, you know, Data East is kind of full full artwork on the front, so kind of interesting how um, you know every publisher was kind of sort of copying Nintendo but doing their own thing. Yeah, and and Capcom was one. Capcom and Konami, I think, were the actually the two that just became so iconic throughout the years. And yeah. Konami never really strayed; like they always had that gray box. Right. And so when you go to the video store and you were renting a game and you saw a gray box down the way, you knew it was probably a good game. Yeah, and, unless you rented Bayou Billy and realized how terrible. I don't know. Kind of like Bayou Billy, but it's awful. <laughs> I mean, only because of the difficulty is jacked up so incredibly high. You know, I like, like I like a game that lets you do side scroller mode shooter. You know, with the zapper and yeah, that's fine. a jeep. Like 
that was a fun concept. That's fine, but I'm saying like the first enemy on screen takes like 13 hits to kill, and he can kill you in like four hits. So so quit uh, sucking. It well, yeah, but the only reason it was jacked up was because of the rental market, and yeah. there were people would buy it, would rent it, beat it, and not buy it. But right, if you yeah. play Mad City, the uh, Famicom version, the difficulty is toned down. It's actually really enjoyable. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I would say that there's not a whole lot we need to say about Gradius. It's phenomenal. It's oh yeah. Best game for the year, arguably at least, and um, yeah, I'm surprised we haven't done just a, a full-on episode about it because it's yeah very very good. It still holds up. Go put it in today. It plays so smoothly. The challenge is you know, just right, and um, you know it's it doesn't look like the typical 1986 game. Like no, no, it looks like the arcade version. Yeah, so go check it out if you haven't. Um, enough said. So, okay, we're running a little bit long here, so let's kind of move through some of these. I think we've we've kind of hit the big ones, so these are kind of a, yeah. a quick run through the rest. But um, next we've got uh, Gumshoe, another NES release, or N- Nintendo release. Um, God, what were people smoking in 86 that they were yeah. releasing these games? <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, the light gun was bundled with the system at the time. I mean, the majority of people at this time probably had the deluxe set. So. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. And I... Obviously, a lot of people had zappers. And I love the idea of zapper games. I wish that there yeah. were more of them. But the concept... In a, in a side-scroller and, and kind of mash them together, though, that's kind of weird. Yeah, you've got this guy that looks like, you know, Dick Tracy with, you know, well, a hangover. Guy. Yeah. And he's walking down the screen. You're trying to avoid obstacles and collect balloons yeah he can't he can't jump so you have to shoot him right and every time you shoot him it like pops him in the air and so like he kind of jumps and then you shoot him while he's in midair and that pops him up again and it's like your typical you know think back to balloon fight when we talked about that and as you're kind of like side scrolling and trying to avoid obstacles that are above you and below you and you're navigating this maze Imagine doing that, but you make the character go up by shooting them, and it's so bizarre. Yeah. And, and you imagine know, doing that without slipping into some sort of seizure from all the the flashes on your screen from shooting the zapper. Oh yeah, that too. Um, That's and it's why like I can't play this game for more than a few minutes. It's just it's too much. Too and this makes sense when you know it was the side game in Hogan's Alley, and the the tin yeah, cans yeah. are coming, and you're shooting those. That made sense. That's a thing you're supposed to shoot and make it fly through the air. Right. Uh, eyes, not something you shoot to send them after balloons. Like, I just, <laughs> it's yeah. so. Like, you can buy a bag of balloons from the dime store. I mean, there's no reason to shoot this guy to collect balloons. No. And, uh, I mean, he doesn't seem to mind. So, I, I, I mean, to each their own, I suppose. But, right. uh, yeah, it's. It's a it's a clever use of the zapper. I'll give you that much, but yeah. um, God, it's so bizarre. It's not nearly as bad as the next two games coming up, though. So, Karate Champ by Data East is one that I do have a little bit of nostalgia for. Really, only yeah. because this I believe was the first arcade game I ever played. Oh wow! Okay. Um, there was a skating rink in the town I was born in, and um, we didn't go there too often, but there was definitely a time we went, and I remember seeing this thing, and I, I was young enough that I still had this imp- 
idea in my head that like video games for for like grown-ups and like kids weren't allowed to play them and then i saw a kid play it one time and i was like oh so you are allowed to so like i went and like begged my grandma for a quarter and i went over and played karate champ and i just remember the like um ron jeremy looking dude in the background up on the tree like holding up the white and red flags and then you know the 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 karate moves and i'm sure i did terrible or hell i probably just played the demo thinking i was doing great but i have to stop you for a second because i know you were talking about the game but for a second when you said the ron jeremy looking dude in the background i was thinking that that guy was in the skating ring he he was yeah that's that's what i saw Okay. I saw his reflection in the screen. He was behind me, like <laughs> waving flags. <laughs> For some reason, it's like you're doing great, kid. Oh God! <laughs> you're a real champ. Oh God! And I was never the same since. Well, that explains it now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the game's pretty awful. But um, there's something kind of fun about it. It's you know you're typical you know karate match type game but what's fun is that it's not what you think of as like street fighter where you gotta you have a life bar and how many times do you have to hit them before you knock them down it's pretty much like karate kid style like one punch tag and you're down and that's, and that's what i kind of found because like i kept trying to like land hits on this guy and i couldn't do it and then he'd like punch me twice and i would just drop dead yeah so. yeah if, the, if it doesn't go through you know it's it's all about blocking or you know making the connection but it's just one tag is enough to get you the point but um Hmm. i don't know it's very simple and i will fully admit that it's the kind of game you're gonna get bored with in about five minutes but Mm -hmm. um i don't know there's something kind of fun and you know it's it's worth checking out yeah um then we move on to uh bandai's next installment of the year um do you want to talk about muscle? Uh, do I have to? Uh, <laughs> I I collected some of the figures when they were out. I mean, I had um, probably a handful of, of the figures, um, and that was like those were always cool. You know, I like had like the hand creature, and you had the the guy that's on the cover or whatever. But uh, I had never played this one until like emulators in the early two thousands, and it's awful. It is god awful. <laughs> I, I would rather play wrestlemania and that game is terrible too you know like, nice that's just um yeah I, I mean all i could kind of do is jump off of ropes and, and kick and occasionally i body slam somebody but this game is just not good by any means yeah it's very hard to figure out like what you're doing and as i was playing it's like every now and then i do something good and it's like oh i wish i knew how i did that so i'd do it again but uh, right. i don't have a clue <laughs> no, no idea so yeah, there's a couple that we'll, we'll get to another one, but uh, shitty wrestling games kind of made a mm. made an appearance here at 86. But oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, this so that's what this is. It's it's just your standard wrestling game based mostly off of um, kind of the masked, you know, Mexican wrestlers, I guess, is the biggest style. But I mean, this was a big thing in Japan. This was an anime yeah. series, right? Yeah. Um, and that's the other thing, too, that's kind of lost in translation a little bit, I think, is that. Um, you know, in, in Japan, it wasn't muscle, it was Kinikuman. And, uh, you know, there was much more of an involved story with the characters and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, over here, it's like, I just remember the figures. Uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't think that the game really was representative of, of anything because the figures were just kind of no name figures a little bit. 
Right. Because they were sold like what, like packs of three or five or something like that. I don't even really remember. I, I, I never had any. I had some friends that like had them and they were usually floating around in the Lego tub. And it's like, how'd this little dude get in here? But yeah. Yeah. You got to put them somewhere. So So, just put them in the corner with Ron Jeremy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Memories. (laughs) Memories of Ron Jeremy. Um, So yeah, this is one you can probably pass on if, unless you want to laugh, but it's, it's hard to know what's even going on. If, if you're one of those people that's actually gotten really good at this game and can just master it, send us in a screen uh, video of, of you doing it. Cause I would love to see that, but right, yeah, I'm sure there's like a no death, you know, all clear somewhere out there, but I, I just don't have the patience to put into this game. Yeah. Um, okay. The next one I think can kind of be another title that goes without saying much. Uh, Mario brothers came out in 86 Another another ad- attempt by Nintendo to bring their much beloved arcade titles to the home market, and uh, yeah, a- again, like Donkey Kong, this is one of the first times where we get a pretty realistic and accurate port of the game. Mm. Uh, I owned Mario Brothers on the twenty six hundred, and oh boy, was that rough. Um, oh yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, the one here on the NES actually looked good. It worked well, and um, it, it, it played smoothly. I think we all know it. I mean, even if you never played the original arcade or NES game, if you played Super Mario Brothers three, like you've played this game at some point, and yeah, yeah. we all know it. It's um, kind of goes without saying. It's where Mario, you know, first got introduced, and uh, yeah, I think I think we can move on, don't you? Yeah, I think so. Okay, um, okay, we got four more, and these will kind of be quick hits as we go down the list. Uh, first one here is um, Bandai's final installment for the year, Ninja Kid. Mm-hmm. Now, this was the other one that I alluded to earlier as a acid trip gone NES. Um, you know, I, I would have to say that this is probably the contender for my underrated game of the year. Uh-huh. Um, assuming that maybe Donkey Kong 3 is one that people do know. Uh, if Ninja Kid is one that you don't know or haven't played, I would say this is worth checking out. Yeah. Um, it is bizarre as hell, <laughs> but kind of fun once you kind of get the hang of it. Um, general idea is I don't well I don't even know what the story is. Who cares? Yeah. You start off in this like overhead world map, and you're kind of walking around, and you go into these like little dungeons. And each one will open, you know, one of like, I don't know, half a dozen or so different like side scroller stages that each has a different objective. Uh, some of them are just a, a rush of enemies and you've just got to kill so many enemies before a door opens. Some of them are, they call them like, what was it like gas room or something like poison gas. Poison. It, yeah, you've got to like, yeah. you've got to collect so many gas clouds. Why? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them this little flame is chasing you and you've got to get it to light like 30 candles and it's just the most strange thing ever uh the enemies are weird the power-ups are weird every now and then like a flute or a harp will just like fall from the ceiling and you can pick it up and it goes into your inventory but it doesn't do anything but hey you collected it so good for you (laughs) um and then when you finally clear the objective of each stage 
doors open up and some of the doors just take you back to the map. Others take you to this giant like tower level where you've got to fight a big face and there's like vampires or Frankenstein monsters chasing you around. Mm-hmm. Why? I don't know. Uh, but it happens sometimes. Yeah. And so it, it's totally weird. Uh, I was very tired when I played this, which probably <laughs> added to the hallucinogenic effect that this game seemed to have. But um, sure. I don't know. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, I, I really like Ninja Kid as well. Um, I think this is another example of um, much like Chubby Cherub of a, uh, a game that was sort of just lost in translation a little bit and adapted, um, which is probably why it's, you know, kind of doesn't really make sense to us because um, the Japanese version is actually based on a very well-known uh, manga character and it's Gegege uh, no Kitaro. And it's um, a lot of it, like this one is actually based on, um, the first game is Gegege no Yutaro Yokai Daimakyo. So um, the main character is Kitaro, um, and basically you have all these, um, like the Yokai and the spirit monsters and stuff like that. Um, but then there's, in the Japanese version, there's, you know, Western film monsters like Frankenstein and Count Dracula and stuff like that. Um, so I, I think it's, yeah, it's just, again, it's not really it doesn't really come across very well to us because we're just not familiar with the original source material. Right. But um, at the same time, I think this game is really fun. It's really tough. Um, and in parts of it remind me of uh, Kaido's Legend of Kage, which would come out next year, you know, especially like the fast scrolling um, 2D areas. But I found this game really fun. It's really tough because, you know, one hit and you're dead kind of thing. And there's a lot of enemies that, you know, as soon as they pop up on the screen, they'll start to shoot you right away. But um, I found myself coming back to this game quite a bit, and I'd pick it up and play because, um, you know, like you said, there's like three or four different types of stages depending on what kind of levels they are, and it's all kind of randomized depending on you never play the same level in the same order. Right. You know, so you've got on your overworld map, you've got what like four four different gates. And Something stuff. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So before you get to the castle. So the first one, then it could be one of like four stages and, you know, it could be a platforming stage where you have to defeat 10 of a specific enemy. It could be one where you have to light a torch or I think there was a shoot 'em up one. Uh, yeah, I like this game a lot, actually. I, I had never actually played it before um, until now. Like I know of on the Famicom, I have um, I think I had the second Gegege no Guitaro game and that's an RPG of sorts, um, but I never played this one. It's actually really fun. Huh? Yeah, I, I, it's so bizarre, so weird, it very also challenging in that addicting way. Yeah. So yeah. you only get three lives, no continues, so you're going to lose a lot. But I found, like, as I was playing, every time I got just a little bit farther. And so that made me keep going back. And I probably played, I don't know, 20 or 30 credits the other night just because it's like, Mm-hmm. I wanted to get a little bit further and I still never got past the first map. Right. Um, Me neither. Yeah. Cause then once you do get to the, the castle, you've got to fight this dude and just, he whoops your ass. Right. Um, so the skill is, you, know, you, you, you can do it, but it takes a lot of practice and, it, and it's like, it's enticing me to try to keep getting better. Like it's mm-hmm. challenging and punishing in that way. Yeah. Um, 
So and I, know I say this a lot too in a lot of episodes, but again, this this feels a lot like what a lot of modern indie games are kind of like, where you know, take a simple concept, you make the gameplay really tight and add a bit of difficulty to it, and the, it's a recipe that just keep coming back, you know, and keep playing. And I I feel like that you know this is a style of game that that would work really well in 2018. I think somebody could take this framework and really you know, add something to it and release it on Steam or on Switch, you know, for about 4 or $5. And I think it would be absolutely worth it. Yeah. I think they, sh- they could tighten up the controls a little bit because it's, sure. a, it's a little sloppy, but yeah. um, the, the idea is solid. I will yeah. give it that. Yeah, I think so. Okay, next we move on to one of the last NES or Nintendo releases here. Um, another attempt at bringing the arcade home, Popeye. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is a game I was fairly familiar with as well because I had the Atari 2600 version of this. Also, um, I played the Atari game so much and got so sick of it that by the time the NES came around and I saw that it was out for this too, I just had no interest. You were done with um, it. Yeah. I was. And it's a fun game and it's a really interesting concept. And I can't think of a whole lot of other arcade games that did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're, you're Popeye, you're trying to avoid Bluto who's running around, um, either throwing bottles at you or trying to punch you or whatever. And meanwhile, olive oil's at the top of the screen, usually either dropping hearts or music notes or various things. And you're just kind of running around trying to collect them. Um, it's an interesting concept. The, the controls are a little bit weird. But um, it's one that you've, if you've never played it, you should, because I think it's it's pretty high in the, you know, kind of arcade lexicon. But um, is it a great game? No, it's not great, but it's kind of par for this kind of mid '80s arcade port. Hmm. Yeah, I only really played this occasionally in the arcade. Like, I don't remember seeing it very often. Um, I I probably rented it a couple times, but it it's kind of boring me a little bit and the reason a little bit yeah the reason why i think so is because um especially like that first level you know your objective is to collect all the hearts but they drop so slow that really after you know punch the the bucket down and then um you eat the spinach then really all the rest that you're doing on that first level is just kind of running around trying to avoid uh you know avoid the enemy and collect all the hearts but there's just not much else to do and so, right. yeah, this is another one that kind of just my attention span isn't really uh, caught by this game really at all. So I don't have a whole lot sure. of nostalgia for it. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and I would say that it's one, like I said, to, to try it out, you know, play it, but I wouldn't go to too much effort. And yeah. if you find a used cart, don't spend more than about three bucks, I would say. Right, right. Well, I'd still um, play Popeye than um, the, the next game or the next two games on our list. I, I was going to say, I know that you've just been dying to get to the end here because okay. as I look at these list of 18 games, number 17 and 18 have got to be your favorites. I, I can right? just tell. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, if you like muscle, you know, then you're going to love tag team wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. I mean, if you like one wrestler, why wouldn't you like a second one? Exactly. Exactly. You know, uh, let's just say if... Uh, you know, if your grandparents bought you a copy of Muscle for your birthday, 
then you can bet that your aunt and uncle are going to buy you a copy of Tag Team Wrestling when it's nine ninety nine at KB Toys. Man, nine ninety nine. That's that's hey. rough. <laughs> I bought my copies of Platoon and Fester's Quest for you know for ten bucks from KB Toys back in the day, and those are exactly ten dollar games. Yeah, quality and quantity. But Ooh. yeah, I oh, Tag Team Wrestling. Oh, I don't know. This is almost just as bad as Muscle, in my opinion. It's it's pretty low on the list um it it was kind of funny at parts just because you know they tried to add some extra elements here Mm. um you had the element of being able to obviously tag a you know partner and bring them in uh you actually had a life gauge so you were kind of you kind of had to weaken your opponent and when they were low then if you did a special move you could pin them um but I mean, one of the funniest things is that you can actually throw your opponent out of the ring. And when you do that, then you're fighting, you know, down in front of the ring. And basically there's a timer. There's no rules. You can pick up chairs, hit each other with the chairs. It's yeah. kind of just a fun little way to, you know, get their health down even quicker. Yeah. Um, but I didn't even play that far into this. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah I, I actually played a couple matches of this just to yeah. kind of see. Um, although, you know, the, the problem that this game suffers from is that you still can't figure out how to control anything. Right. So as I'm running around in the ring, occasionally I do some super move and be like, oh, cool. How did I do that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then you just kind of hope for the best. And sometimes I would think that I would do it again. And it turns out, nope, they did their super move on me, but it right. looks the same. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can't really tell like who's doing what to who. No. Uh-oh. And it's so it's it's not easy to control. You don't really know what you're doing, but yeah. it is kind of funny to just watch it all happen. Yeah. Um, the only thing I would say, the only redeeming quality of this game at all is um, that it was sort of the basis for uh, Strong Bad from Homestar Runner. So okay. If you were a fan of Homestar Runner back in the day, um, and I always wondered why he was a, you know, a masked wrestler character. Um, those were the two teams in, in tag team wrestling. It was the Strong Bads and the Ricky Fighters. So, uh, yeah, Strong Bad was sort of the um, based on, you know, the the masked wrestling characters of tag team wrestling. I did not know that. Okay, that's very funny. Right, but that's like I said, that's the only redeeming quality of this. <laughs> Yeah, so I I don't know I I played it for a little while. It's um it's not good, but, <laughs> you know. But it's a game. I, I felt like I had something that I was gonna say that made it somewhat redeeming, but um it's the gone. Cover cool. I'll give it that. I mean, I mean, it's just a red box with four screenshots on it. Well, no, I mean it's got the the cover art of the the wrestlers looking like. Is that the one you're looking at? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at a flyer. That's not actually the box yeah, yeah. art. No, the the actual cover art is pretty good. I mean, you know, we got two masked wrestler guys and the Ricky Fighters on the other side. You know, for '86, it, it looks, you know, it's got that like it looks like it's going to be better than it is. I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, that's how they got you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, anyway, yeah, I I'd say pass. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. not not even worth trying unless I mean you if you want to go for it, but. Man, it's a rough go. Um, and, you know, that brings us to our conclusion, last and not least. I, I don't know if I can say that or not. Uh, a game that definitely is known. 
it for some reason keeps getting re-released over yep. and over and over, <laughs> including on the 3DS, a, a 3D uh-huh. version. Oh, yeah. And with um, also a, a Club Nintendo reward for years. And, uh, you know, a, a free game for a lot of people. No one ever asked for or nobody wanted. The game that I would say was the... Um, inspiration for the opening credits of street fighter two, the world warrior, right. Uh, urban champion. Yep. And so it, the concept here is you have two characters who are these really big sprites actually. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that. Like graphically it's, it's pretty good. So you're, you're down in front of this building and you're just, yeah well there's like a couple there's a snack bar and then a general store yeah you're you're just beating the hell out of each other and if you knock the other guy uh, you know knock him around enough then he eventually rolls into the next screen and you go to the next challenge and then the next one and then i think it's on the third screen there's an open manhole that you know Mm -hmm. when you beat the guy up enough he rolls into the manhole and then you get a little victory screen and now you get to do it all over again um, it's just, this is boring. It's like karate champ, but instead of one hit knockdowns, you just kind of keep going, but it's similar in the sense that it's really hard to actually score a hit. You don't really know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of felt like this is just the precursor for fighting iron knuckles in Zelda two. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, because they kind of just block up or block down, and you're just yeah. punching up or down, and you're just kind of pushing them off the screen. And yeah, that's true. Kind of like knocking that blue iron knuckle into the pit, so you don't have to fight him. Like that's what you're doing in this game, except it's in a manhole. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, this was released by Nintendo, and again, it just keeps getting released. We just don't know why. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, you know, it's the the game that refuses to die. I guess. Yeah, you know, I'm surprised that we haven't seen like an updated version in like you know on the Wii or on the Switch or something like that. Like you know, the surprise game like you know we remade Urban Champion with motion controls and online play, and people would be like, uh, we didn't ask. For it. <laughs> you know, well, I, I I still like the idea we came up with a few weeks ago. I think that they should be unlockable characters in the new Smash Brothers. Dude, that would be cool. Actually, I'm surprised. <laughs> even the rich history of of Smash Brothers, I'm surprised that um, Urban Champion has not been made a playable character. Well, maybe he's yeah. an assist trophy, but who knows? I mean, they they put the Wild Gunman characters in as an assist trophy in the last one, so you know, you never know. Yeah. So, I don't know. If, if you haven't gotten to play Urban Champion before, don't worry. It'll be released yeah. soon on the Switch, I'm sure. And um, pretty much everywhere you look, there's a copy yeah, of it floating. Be the first one with online play for the, uh, you know, for the online service, I'm sure. That are of course. Yeah. So, anyway, that's a, um, a rather long look at 1986. Kind of covered all of the games here. Um, definitely some high spots and things that are worth checking out. But as we said... Yeah, I mean, this was just kind of, I mean, the best way to put it without sounding too negative is it's like, this was the year where everybody was trying to just kind of figure stuff out. Mm -hmm. And I think that by 87, Nintendo realized that, okay, these arcade games are here, but we can do so much more. Um, And I think that some of the third party developers were starting to realize like, oh, okay, this console is actually around to stay. Mm -hmm. 
it's worth us investing some time into making some good games and you know come back in two weeks and hear what we have to say about 87 and the leaps that we made from 86 to 87 are amazing so yeah uh, really really kind of caught it caught its stride there and um took off and you know was never the same again after that but um right. you know we had to get through 85 and 86 and figure out what the console could do so mm. i think 86 is also kind of like the first year that you would see um games discounted i guess if that makes sense like a lot of these games outside of the ones that really didn't get re-released i i can see them as being games that you would have seen for you know 19 20 dollars you know within a year or two um, yeah probably you know it just it, it was so much more um much more like the wild west i guess as far as uh pricing back then like depending on where you went like you know certain places might have clearanced out games quicker than than others but like you know, I, I guarantee like you could go to like KB Toys or Toys R Us or whatever and just get, you know, drop 20 bucks on like 1942 or Ninja Kid, you know, versus like 39 and 49 for new titles. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I would say that, you know, as we saw that it was it was a decent year. And but I got to say that I am very much looking forward to 87 and beyond. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're going to now that we've got the, uh, you know sort of the the kidney stones of the nes era out of the way (laughs) so to speak um we've got some good stuff coming up in the next few episodes so yeah uh and i think we'll kick that off right now by uh announcing our next graveyard duck challenge which um we'll just go ahead and showcase 87 right here and uh wes you kind of decided what game you want to do for this so why don't you announce this uh this was a tough one actually because uh we were talking about it before the show and uh, there was actually quite a few games that would make really good challenges. But uh, so in the end, I think we decided to go with RC Pro-Am as our uh, Graveyard Duck challenge. So we're going to be looking for uh, your highest score uh, in RC Pro-Am. So uh, take a screenshot of that, put your initials in there, and uh, hashtag Graveyard Duck Challenge. And, uh, you know, let's let's see if you still got the skills for RC Pro-Am. You know, can you get through, you know, all three of the vehicle classes and, uh, you know, beat all 32 tracks. Uh, let's see what we can do. So I'm excited. I love RC program. So. Yeah. I always had fun with this game and being able to like the, the customization options I thought was just a ton of fun. Um, and also one of the, one of those games that the NES version is a ton of fun and the arcade was always so great. You know, was there an arcade version? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It was one of those that had the wheels that you could actually like drive, kind of like off-road. Uh, you're thinking, I think you're thinking of like Super Sprint. I feel like there was an RC Pro-Am one too. I could be wrong, but I don't, I don't think there is. Hmm. If there is, that's cool. But yeah, there, there's an arcade that I know of that I think has it. Next time I go, I'll check. But huh. I could be wrong. I've been wrong once before. Yeah, once. <laughs> yeah. All and, right. Uh, RC Pro-Am also has like uh, one of the funniest. Um, weird AI glitches of all time where sometimes the uh, the yellow card just gets like this like burst of speed and there's like this high pitched sound and it just takes off. You know what I'm talking about? Like later on in the game as you're playing I occasionally don't uh, know this, no. What's that? I don't know this, no. Oh really? Okay. So like occasionally in RC Bram, uh, you'll be playing and you're doing like, you know, your three laps. And I'm pretty sure it's the yellow card. It might be a different one, but uh, occasionally, like it'll just all of a sudden just take off, and 
it just goes like super fast and then ends up finishing the race in first place. Like there's no way to beat it without like shooting it really quick. <laughs> I can't, I can't really describe when it happens and I'm sure other people have, have played it probably know what I'm talking about, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's bizarre. Hmm. Either way, it's going to be awesome. So looking forward to it. Um, post your, uh, your screenshots, your hashtag, your graveyard duck challenge on there and put initials and you can post that to our facebook group or to our instagram or twitter as well so all right yeah looking forward to that one and then obviously we'll be back in two weeks with some 1987 talk um yeah i think it's been a been a good run sorry for the delay in um the episode but um we're back now yeah so for now it's in the way again but uh you know that's just how it goes so Okay, so if anybody wants to get a, get a hold of us, Wes, and tell us all about their uh, favorite games from 1986, how do they do that? So, like I said, uh, we've got the Facebook group, uh, Graveyard Duck Podcast. Um, we're on Twitter as well, at Duck Graveyard. Um, you can find us on Instagram as well. And, uh, yeah, you can also shoot us an email at graveyardduckpodcast at gmail.com. So uh, let us know what your favorites are or, uh, or your worst games that you played in 1986. And, uh, yeah. All right. Well, I think that about wraps this one up. So sorry for running a little bit long, but I think it was worth it. So come back in two weeks. And until then, I'm Scott. And I'm Wes. And just remember, if you see Ron Jeremy in the corner of the skating rink, uh, you know, it's it's best not to go with. Don't, Don't be like Scott. Unless he has the red flag up. Game over.